Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. In this episode, I sit down virtually with Jeffrey Giavatella, one of Sage's finance futurists. The Sage Finance Futurists are a diverse group of finance leaders who have been recognized for driving innovation and showing leadership across the industry. Thank you to Sage for sponsoring this episode and making this interview possible. I hope you enjoy. So here we are, Jeffrey, coming to the tail end, hopefully, of what seems like a very, very long year. How are you doing? 2020 is a blur. I'll put it to you that way. 2020 is truly a forgotten year of my life. The company that I work for, Ballard Brands, is in the hospitality industry, which was impacted the most by this COVID-19 crisis. And it has been challenging in every dimension. However, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I believe. Our business model is pretty diverse. So we were able to hedge some of the, the losses in certain areas. And the coffee business is still great. You know, that, that was really where we were able to leverage a lot of the uh, success of that, of the brands. But it has been a challenge. It's been an extreme challenge. So, so you are the CFO of Ballard Brands, which is a collection of hospitality, food service businesses. Yes. Everything from coffee to coffee manufacturing, roasting. We have a, a laundry list of different uh, diverse businesses all over the world, actually. From uh, emergency management contracts to real estate. I mean, it is the gambit. It is everything. So some of those businesses, it sounds like we're doing okay. You mentioned the coffee business is one that did all right during the pandemic. What what else was up? What was down in across your portfolio? I suppose it helped to be a bit diversified and not be doing just one thing, right? Yes, it did. But I, I got to tell you, you know, the PPP funding is what really saved the hospitality industry, at least round one. Round two has been a, a challenge in and of itself. You know, I think a, a lot of our businesses uh, are run very efficiently and are managed uh, very closely. We're not a Fortune 500 company, so we are still a, a small mid-sized company, a small business, as you would say. So every dollar counts. Every dollar that goes uh, from one place to another is is cherished. There's nothing that we have that he pockets and say, hey, you know, oh, we could float this for another month. So, you know, our restaurants, uh, our concept of Wild Cafe, um, it's actually Wild uh, American Eats now. We rebranded it recently. That concept is we rebranded it at the end of 2019, just before the COVID hit, COVID hit, uh, the COVID just before COVID hit. And so that has kind of taken, taken a step back a bit. Uh, so we having to re kind of retool it and get it back out there. Our PJ's coffee concept has been doing great. In fact, last year, 2020, oddly enough, was a stellar year for franchisees to uh, purchase licenses for new locations. And that really, that was really interesting to me. So your whole team, are they all working from home? I take it you've got the systems in place to do that? Yes. Years ago, when I first started here, we, we didn't have a finance department. and We were only a couple of little companies. I kind of thought about them about 20 years ago. And I said, you know, I want to be able to have a fully functional department, accounting finance department, that it has 100% uptime. It was all basically done through remote 
services of some sort, whether it be Logman, remote desktop. So yeah, everybody's been everybody's been pushing through as much as possible. But I could start. I'm starting to see some of the frustration with uh, among peers because it is. It's it's not normal. It's not our normal life as humans. We're all social animals. So I mean, it's it's just not normal for for this behavior. Some people can adapt these. So so what's the finance and accounting team look like for a company like yours with 40 something brands underneath it a lot of entities i imagine i mean yes it must it must require quite a lot of of work every month about 40 3 years ago 4 years ago i started searching for an erp system and uh we have current well currently backup we have about four staff accountants and an ap ar staff as well and that's it four staff accountants ar ap so like, that's a pretty lean team. Yeah, it's a very lean team. When I got hired, I was hired to establish the department the way I wanted to do it, on my vision of what it should look like. And so I did. I embarked on this after. We, we were on QuickBooks Enterprise before that. And, and, and we just outgrew that. I mean, that, that, that was just, we just completely outgrew it. As we ramped up and built more companies and bought more companies and did other things, uh, we realized, I realized, hey, we really have a need for more automation because a couple of our companies are franchises. So they're, they're audited each year. And then we do manufacturing of the coffee and, and, and production distribution. So then I needed a system that can also take that into consideration. So, so you mean consolidating dozens of QuickBooks files wasn't your cup of tea? Uh, well, no, no. no. <laughs> right. I should say coffee in this case. In, in a sense, it was great because what it did was it forced me to look at the data every single month in detail, but it was a challenge. It was an extreme challenge. So what we have is each accountant is basically assigned X amount of companies. And these companies have data controls that are coming in, data pathways that are coming in. I had all this uh, written out for our consultants that we're going to, that I, I, I did an RFP for uh, some ERP systems, and I went down the list. And then I said, okay, I want something that is lightweight, that could be, because we have so many data connections, it's going to be important that the back end of it is usable and doesn't, it has easy, it, it's a lightweight back end. These consultants you're talking about when you did an ERP implementation, is that what we're? Yeah, so I ended up going with, I ended up going with Sage. Given that we really needed a system that could better manage our inventory controls from the manufacturing side, the distribution side. It was a sure fit. And also it's SOX compliant. So if we had any clients that we uh, do some restaurant management that are, are publicly traded, it kind of coincides with that, right? So I remember at the, at the beginning being told, do you want to go cloud-based or do you want to go server-based? Now, granted, five years ago, well, four years ago, cloud, cloud-based systems were far different in just this short amount of time. And the accessibility with certain off-site hosted servers was much different just four years ago than it is today. And costs have really come down as well. In the meantime, before all this, I said, no, we could do a hybrid system. Let's do it in-house to make sure that we're collecting the data, the data is being pulled into the right place. So relatively in, inexpensive, we created a server environment at our office. And that server was three separate blades, I guess you call them. And one was for Sage, one was for document storage, and one was for terminal services. 
And the intent was to have everybody log into it and create these virtual desktops. So that way, what I, I've noticed, because I've also kind of delved into the IT side, unfortunately, you know, you change one thing and all of a sudden you're the, you're the expert. You know, you show somebody something, you're the IT expert. Oh, yes, I know that well. Uh, <laughs> so it was it was an interesting thing. So what I wanted to do was to basically house everything through ter- terminal services. Well, the more people you get into your, your company, the more challenges you have. So we went, so about three years ago, our company owners decided to take a huge leap forward with growing the brands even more. Well, with growing the brands nationally, internationally, took a lot of effort from a lot of new staff that came up. The challenges that you, you, you incur with that new blood coming on are, are extremely, uh, difficult at times because everybody has their own thoughts and ideas and they're great. Don't get me wrong, but it's all got to, fit into the pieces of the puzzle that you're trying to create with the foundation. And that foundation is your ERP system. I don't care what part of the company you look at, it all has to flow through the accounting system. So having that solid, uh, a stable base really allowed us to leverage more automation and prepare ourselves for the future, which is cloud support. So, so to summarize, you you came in and you had a really great opportunity to basically build the accounting finance stack from almost nothing. nothing. Yeah, yeah, just just some desktop accounting files. Not even that. <laughs> we they had an accounting firm doing the books for them. Uh-huh. They only had three little companies at the time. Got it. So fully outsourced. And, and yeah, and and I walked in with my 11 inch laptop, and I, I was I was shown to a closet that would have been my office, electrical room closet. They had a, a dining room table in there, and that was my office. And I brought my phone from home. So, so humble beginnings. Humble, very humble, humble beginnings. And and so you implemented a server based ERP system, and now uh, you are thinking. So it sounds like you're thinking about figuring out how to get that fully cloud. Well, we've already we've already made the decision because we updated our Sage software recently, mm-hmm. and actually, it's actually it's being done now as we speak. And we're moving that because we moved our corporate office. We actually downsized after COVID with the use of remote work. So, and that that goes into our our real estate side where you can start to see some of this occurring and trickling down into the. Um, commercial real estate rentals and leases and things like that, right? It's affecting it. So we're moving, we moved it to AWS. And the benefit of this really was because in order for us to upgrade the software, there are components that were on the four-year-old server that needed to be updated. Well, by the time you spend money buying the blades, again, buying new servers, getting an updated server, uh, Microsoft server or whatever server you're using, and then you'd have to do it again in a few years, right? Mm-hmm. It's definitely more cost effective to do it the other way. Well, and that's the thing a lot of people forget is that all the other costs that go along with maintaining your own server-based system, the maintenance, the upgrades you got to do that just go away. And although your right. m- monthly cost might be higher long-term. Overall, it's cheap. Overall. And especially when you're able to keep your labor costs down, right? Not having to hire folks. 
Yes. Having, having, you know, we've been very fortunate. We have some very committed guys. We just recently hired a new IT director, or an IT director, not a new one, a first one. But we've been using consultants uh, for years and they've done a great job. But, you know, you really need somebody to, to babysit this data because everything in your company relies upon. So what I have found is that everyone in the company needs the same information, just in different formats. And what you'll start finding is if you do not hedge that off, the individual still needs to get that data and they're going to do whatever it takes to get that data. And that might be, that might be them going rogue and getting another software that they can connect to. Or, but this person over here needs the same information. So if all the information is coming through one central portal, then it could be disseminated however we want. That reminds me of something you said earlier that I really liked, which is that everything should run through the ERP. Everything. All so so basically, your philosophy, if I if I may, is is that you as finance, running finance, you control the flow of data in the organization. Would that is that fair to say? Anything with a dollar sign in front of it. I don't care what it is. If it flows through accounting, yes. Because ultimately, it's I'm accountable for it. My you know I have to be able to navigate rough waters and know where the potholes could possibly be. And also it gives us a better view. When you have entrepreneurial owners, it, it's not uncommon for them to come in and say, oh, we got to just bought another business. And you're like, oh, Jesus. I mean, what, what, <laughs> you know, what uh, oh, do you have? Nope, we don't have any. Let me, let me, let me start from it. The thought pro it's just like a sales. It's, a, it's also like a sales mentality. I mean, salesmen have a certain game set that they use mm -hmm. and and sometimes it could be negatively uh, viewed, or sometimes positive. But a lot of times, they're going to do whatever it takes to make the sale. Right. They're they're not going to think about the accounting implications of the deal. They're not going to think about the risk management side of it, the access to the banks, the the ins and outs of sales taxes, uh, use taxes, different tax implications. I mean, insurance. I mean, it just goes on and on. It doesn't matter if it's a if it's a snowball stand. I don't know if you know what a snowball. Familiar with snowballs? No, no down here in New Orleans, yeah, they, What's that? it's shaved ice that has a flavoring on top. You know, um, it it doesn't matter if it's a snowball stand or if it's a an Amada in Philadelphia, which is one of our restaurants. It is the same amount of work. It is the same every single time, and that's where um, it's just the way the cultures are. I mean, you know, they sit you know sales guys and and we're accountants, and there's always going to be a Oh my God, what, what did you do? I mean, what did you sell? You know, I mean, geez, you sold accounting services. What are you thinking? Did anybody? Anyway, it's, it's, it makes for an interesting challenge. And that's probably why I've been there for 18 years, other than the fact that being able to see a department and a company grow and being a part of that and, and making an impact, uh, seeing the results of your work really is the, is the real uh, satisfaction. So, Jeffrey, you've been at Ballard Brands for, you said, 16 years now? Yeah, 16. And before that, you were the CFO at PJ's Coffee, which is that one of the Ballard Brands? It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of all the, yeah, it's all the same. Yeah, it's, 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 they're all under, one, all under one roof. We purchased PJ's Coffee in 2008. Got it. So, so you've been with this family of companies for a while now. 
and you've been in finance, leading finance for a while, but you have not, you did not, you did not get your start in finance. And I always, no. I always like that because I too am a career changer. I was a musician before I got into accounting. And I think you may actually beat me out for something that's even more interesting, <laughs> which is you were a paramedic in New Orleans before you- I was you... a paramedic, yeah, and, uh, in the early 90s. How did you get into doing that? Like what inspired you? Well, my cousin was a paramedic. I was coming out of high school, trying to decide on going to college and where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And I really enjoyed medicine since I was a kid. My cousin was a paramedic and he said, why don't you test the waters? At the time, there weren't any formal colleges for paramedicine. You went to a college, you received some basic classes, a regular college, and then you would branch off to like an allied health division. And then you would get swept into a, uh, a healthcare side, which was, at the time was Charity Hospital in New Orleans. And then you just work yourself through the, the steps to become an EMT basic and then an EMT intermediate and then an EMT paramedic. Takes about two and a half years if you're diligent. Um, and I was young enough to give morphine, but not old enough to drink. <laughs> when I was a paramedic, I was twenty. I just turned twenty-one, and and so I said, you know, I, I like this. I think I'm going to do it. So I was young enough, and I said, I want to go to medical school. Well, so but then I said I have to go to college. So I ended up going to Tulane. I was working twelve-hour shifts. As a paramedic, you were working as a paramedic while you were at Tulane. I had to pay for my tuition. Yes, sir. Wow. Yes, sir. So, and it's expensive, and I don't know if it's worth it. But anyway, and you, did you study finance at Tulane? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, I kind of like this this thing, and I always had a knack for numbers, even as a kid. I was always very numbers just came easy to me. So I said, well, let me just let me do this. I would work seven p.m. to seven a.m., and then I'd go to school from ten to two. And do it all over again. Now you, I don't even want to think about it. My stomach churns when I think about it because you don't sleep, and you know it was rough. Now those twelve-hour days we were talking about probably seem pretty easy, right? Because yeah, but, but twelve hours <laughs> as a paramedic in the city of New Orleans is not an easy task. I cannot, I cannot even imagine. No, you you can't. You need a whole nother podcast. And then from there, I was getting out of college. Four years later, and I was approached by this gentleman who opened up an ambulance company in New Orleans, and he said, "Come join me." And I said, "No, I really want to go. To, I really want to apply to medical school. I really want to do that. Come on, we could build a business together." I got involved with him, and within a year and a half, we went from one ambulance to twelve ambulances. And I was in the sales. I was director of operations, which was basically a marketing job, essentially, right? And so I did that for about five years. And then from there, I was approached with a wild concept, a wild franchise concept. A buddy of mine bought a franchise and opened one up and was very successful in it. So I said, well, I think it's time for a change. So I bought a few locations and we're going to open them up in different areas in New Orleans, and Louisiana, different areas around there. I finally got one open and Hurricane Katrina hit. Okay. So I'm sitting there like, oh my what else, you know? So me getting used to being in these situations, um, I always, I have very good troubleshooting skills. So, uh, and, and coming to a solution pretty, pretty easily, it comes to me very easy. Yeah. Well, well, when lives are in the balance, you guess you get to learn. Well, you, you do, you develop, you, de you develop it. And it, it's funny because even from teens, even in a teens uh, perspective, you learn 
if if you do not get along with a person and you're in an ambulance with them for 12 hours a day, you don't have a choice. You have to work with what you have. And, and so it kind of teaches you a little bit about relationships and overlooking uh, certain personalities. And and I'm abrasive to begin with. I mean, I, I get, look, I, I have... I have to put a disclaimer on that. Emails uh, uh, can be uh, perceived opposite of what intended because my one-line email seems to spark a lot of, a lot of, a lot of replies sometimes. But um, I, I did that, and then I ended up closing the location, sold it, my area territory. Was going back into the ambulance business right after the hurricane, and the guys who owned the company said, "Hey, you ran a great store. We saw what you were able to do." Why don't you come do that with us? I said, well, I'm not going to run it. I'm not going to run stores. I mean, I have bigger, you know, a little bit higher aspirations in some aspects. Not that, no disrespect to anyone, but I wanted a, a little bit more out of a career. And then he said, well, no, no, no. We want you to come structure and build our finance and accounting section. We want to bring everything in-house, have more controls, have better optics of what's going on, because we're really going to be building this, this company. That's what we need. So, and that's how it is. So I ended up, I was telling my wife this last night. I said, God, I can just, it's funny because you can see, it's amazing when you look back at your life and you see the, the challenges and the, the opportunities and, and the failures. You know, I'm not afraid to admit failure and I accept it and I embrace it actually. I always tell my wife this, if I wasn't married, I'd do it again. But you have to think of the other person on the other side too. You, know, you can't just be self selfish and think that. But um, but it, it's it's not that you're a glutton for punishment. It's just that you know the the harder you work, uh, I believe that in some cases the harder you work, the, the the better the outcome at certain times. You learn by your mistakes, and that's where I am today. So then I ended up and then I ended up being here, and I am so proud of the staff that. I've been able to hire over the years. You know, we don't have a high attrition rate. Everybody, is, it's a very casual, relaxed atmosphere for the most part. I don't micromanage. I think everybody should be held accountable for their jobs. And they know that. And they do an ex exceptional job. And, and there's so many ways to do checks and balances. And I hear that a lot. How do you manage that? How do you manage 50 balance sheets and audited entities and just the diversity and keep track of it. Well, the answer is, is that you have to have the, the checks and balances in place. So you have to have, you have to know what you're looking at. I've gotten to the point to where I, I can sniff out any, it's just, it's amazing what you're able to achieve by just seeing it every day, seeing different things every day. You could just see it. You could see issues, you could see problems, you can hedge a lot of issues ahead of time, but it really is the data coming in that's very important. If the data coming in is not consistent, then the data coming out is going to be just as bad and poor decisions are going to be made. And you, I can't consciously do that. I'm a perfectionist at heart. And I tell my, my staff, and I don't call them, I don't like to call them my staff, our staff. I tell them all the time. There is no, I, I know a lot of CPA firms use a threshold of say, $5,000 in material items. Mine is one penny. Mine is one penny. And I tell that to why, them and they look why is me like I have four eyes on my head. <laughs> <laughs> why, why, is, why is your threshold one penny? 
Because if I can get it to zero, they can get it to one day. And that's a challenge for them. And it's very important that everyone knows how important this data really is and the decisions that are made based upon this data. See, a lot of companies, I've, I've done some consulting work on the side to, to assist small businesses, owners, and a business owner knows their business. They don't know the back ends. They don't know. And it's, it's, no, it's no fault of anybody. I mean, that's just not their thing. You may be a good uh, cook, but that doesn't, I mean, a good chef, but that doesn't make you a good business person. What I've noticed is a lot of times when they, they come to me and they're like, we do this, you start looking at the accounting records and you start seeing just all kinds of stuff. And you can't get any bearing on where the foundation, where the fund, where does the floor set, sit? It's very important for small business owners to know where they stand. And if that means using a, an online cloud-based accounting service that's free or anything to give you that information, I can't tell you how many times I've walked into businesses and they absolutely have. They do their, they do their taxes at the end of the year and that's it. What to you is the most important role of the CFO? I think the most important role of today's CFO is technology-based thought process behind automation and efficiencies. Yesterday's accountants are going to be a thing of the past. What is a yesterday's accountant to you? Well, let's see. I know the T accounts the definitely a thing of the past, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, waiting on packets to be sent to your, to your office in order to manually input the data into an accounting software to spit out the information that you need. Those days are slowly coming to an end. The key to the automation on the front end is the systems at where the data paths are coming, where they originate. You're going to always have to have someone that does a double check. So you're going to have an accountant that needs to know what the GL structure is, what, you know, to verify these things. They're still going to have that knowledge, but the, the, the process in which you do a transaction will slowly become a fully automated machine. So, so that's a really interesting response because often when I ask finance leaders what is the most important role of the finance head or CFO, I get answers like, um, you know, risk, something to do with risk management or, but, but you're leading with technology. Yes. You're leading with automation and efficiency. Mm -hmm. Yes. So what does that to you and what does that enable you to do versus a CFO that isn't doing that? It enables us as a company to grow easier because you're not having to hire more people to take care of business. Having that, the, the ability to scale and having a system that allows you to scale, that was one of the key components of Sage was that it was scalable from a 50 million or $5 million business to a $5 billion business. So you have a huge, you have a huge area that, that it, it's capable of doing. Technology would be much, it would be used more widely today if the, the onboarding process was less taxing on the employee or the individual that has to do it. Well, that's always the challenge, right? Is we want to implement tech, but then who has the time to do it? Like you said earlier, we're, we still have to do the work. We still have to get the clothes done. We have to produce the financials, all this stuff. And in the meantime, the, I don't know, we're, we're retrofitting the boat 
underneath us while we're sailing, right? That's always the challenge. And technology today uh, is, is just advancing leaps and bounds. But what I've also noticed too is that companies are not um, providing full services like they used to. So SAP Concur is uh, we are launching that program for an our expense report program. And um, just last year, I was talking to them and they would do all the data migration. Now they don't. They actually partner with a data specialist. So what I'm finding is that these companies are, are, are trimming down the areas that they don't want that they, they don't want to have focus on and concentrating on this. So what's happening is if you want to get into concur service, well, if you want it to report into a PERP system, you have to have a third party to push that data. They're no longer that person. That, and that's where that's what I'm seeing a lot in the software industry where they're specializing in a specific item, not just a uh, an ecosystem set of different products. Um, that's a challenge. That's going to be a challenge moving forward because that's where the expense comes in. So how do you educate yourself about tech? You, you've led technology transformation. Uh, I apologize for using that buzzword in your organization for years now. And you seem to really have a good understanding of what's possible. And, and you're using all the buzzwords that I hear in the software world. So, but this is not something that we learned in school. No, it's not. And, and, you know, I do a lot of I do a lot of um, late night reading on random subjects. I, my wife always tells me I, I know a ton of unimportant information. But what I've noticed is that, you know, and I'll, I'll give you a great uh, example. Um, home automation. I got tired of turning out the lights. That, that's my hobby right now. I built when we built our house up seven years ago, just seven years ago, um, I wired it in anticipation. Had, I put extra wires in the wall. I said, let's, let me just put extra wires in the wall just in case. So I ran it. I said, because eventually I would like to do a home automation. Well, back seven years ago, you only had X10 and Bailey had Z-Wave devices out there that you could get. And it was expensive. Then I started noticing my wife leaving the lights on. <laughs> so I said, oh, man. I said, turn out the light. So now I said, okay, I'm going to fix it. Now it's going to be automated. So when she walks in, it goes on. When she comes in three minutes later, it goes off. I started doing that all along the house. And then I, I said, let me apply that to work. How can we apply that to work? I'd start just typing in random things, just random thoughts, um, automating GLs, automating uh, POS systems, database stuff, just random things that I would hear. Just being just just from periodicals that I would read, you know, and different things you would read online. Oddly enough, I was able to apply some of that to the automation. I didn't know how to I didn't know what a batch file was. We we used batch files to push data from POS systems to QuickBooks for 10 years. The first 10 years of my job, I, I wrote a, I wrote a little batch file and you would have thought that I created Microsoft. And it was just that simple batch file that really started. And it was all it was, was copy here and paste it here. And then when you opened up QuickBooks, it popped in there. That alone saved 12 hours a week of one person's day, of one person's time. 12 hours of data entry. So you took, you took the initiative to do that, to learn how to do that. 
you saw the fruit of your labor there and that that's what got me and then and then i said well if we can apply it to that let's apply let me see what we could do with royalties that's a challenge and then when you're trying to get these the financials at the end of the month which in our company our department heads rely on accounting financials which is i'm trying to wean them off of that because there really is a difference between finance and accounting. You should never have to worry. You should never have to wait for an accounting set of financials to run your business. You'll never, you'll never, they're always behind. It's always a lag, especially in the franchise world when, you, when you're waiting on royalty streams and sales data to push to you from other areas. So it's very, uh, a POS system is your, is, I always call it your ATM. Your ERP system is your bank account. You make sure that there is nothing interfering between your ATM and that bank account. And that is a very, it's a very easy to state, but it's very complicated to do. When I go on to online forums and I look for pain points, or I just look for the conversations that stimulate the most discussion, the ones that always seem to do it, it's, it's when the point of sale is not working with the GL. Oh, that is gosh. when people just start to go nuts. Well, or you have uh, you have managers that will add buttons to POS systems. Now, Square doesn't allow you to add too many things. It's very, like I said, right, it's right. not. It's very standard. But when you have something like a POS, a real POS like Aloha or Posse, where you can go in and make buttons and do different things, and they're not tied to the back end of the POS, and then they do not get reported, that is a. I mean, that is just the epitome of a nightmare. Yeah, because then your your whole automated reconciliation is done. The window, right? You got to do it manually. It's done. Yeah. And that's the thing is getting these with ERP systems though. It's much different than QuickBooks. QuickBooks is very forgiving. A lot of these software are very forgiving. When you start dealing with these real big boys like Sage, you know, Microsoft Dynamics, Oracle, NetSuite, you're in a different arena. Now you forced to to know the difference between an AP module, an AR module, and a general ledger. Which transactions, they're all isolated modules. So everything is, you have to compartmentalize everything. AP is one component. AR is another component. GL is another component. Whereas in QuickBooks, it's all one. So where you start seeing people making mistakes and making errors, they delete bills, not the check. They delete the check, not the bill. They book it from a journal entry directly in AP. Well, in QuickBooks, that's fine, but not on an ERP system. That'll throw your GL and your AP off because they, they're speaking different languages. So it's, it's a, if you want to move in from the, from the, to the big boys, there's a learning curve. And that's what weeds out the accountants from the bookkeepers. <laughs> well, Jeffrey, Giovatella, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks so much for your time. If our listeners are interested in learning more about you or connecting with you, where can they go? Where would you like to point them? Uh, they could go to my LinkedIn page. They could go to the Ballot Brands website and email me. I encourage uh, anyone that has questions. I enjoy sharing information. Uh, my information that I extend to anyone is experience. I would never lead you in the direction. If I don't know, I don't know. I'll find out, but I don't know. I feel that I have a purpose here. And sometimes I would like to uh, to share to prevent uh, other people from uh, experiencing 
uh, what the outcome could possibly be in certain aspects. Well, we have a lot of listeners who are really into accounting technology. So you may have just opened yourself up to a whole lot of emails. Well, I'll do it on your podcast. How's that sound? (laughs) Sounds good. We'll have you back to answer some of those questions, perhaps. I would love to. Thanks again for your time and uh, stay dry in New Orleans. Is that fair to say? Yes, yes, it is. It is. Stay dry. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye.